You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship, featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. Welcome, Linda. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Carla. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, this is the third one. And so far, uh, I've had a lot of positive response. People are interested in people's stories. And what I like about the stories that I'm presenting is that it's people that have really been through significant problems and then come out on the other end and show how you can get out of these very difficult, dysfunctional relationships and situations. So this time, we're going to be talking to Linda and she's going to tell us her story of her marriage and we're not picking on men and having just women but for right now that's the people that have come across my path so this can be both sides can be men it could be a woman Um, but we're going to be talking to her about her marriage and what she found out midpoint in her marriage she realized what she was going through and then how she uncovered this horrible deception He was living a complete double life, you said, with fake profiles in at least four dating websites. So why don't you tell us just how your marriage started out? Well, thank you, Carla. Our marriage started out great. He kind of was the guy that you could take all the boxes off on the checklist of the person you want to meet. Mm -hmm. He was very smart. He was a a very high achiever. He was funny. He could really make people feel comfortable and at at home. And we had a great marriage. People would comment on how well we got along and how they noticed how good our marriage was. And I was a person that I knew other people got divorced, but I was the last person who was ever going to get a divorce and I would never need to because I had such a great husband and a great marriage. And I think part of that was I really believed I knew how to pick somebody who was going to always be there for me and always be faithful and always be supportive. One of the things I've learned from all this is that you can do your very best, but a marriage takes two people and that other person has a choice. They have free will. So what started happening about the halfway point, I noticed big changes in him and his behavior. And I had had two children and then we took a break and I really didn't think I wanted any more. We had a very high pressure, high stress life. We moved a lot because his career was just taking off. And I felt like my role was to support him. So that's what I did. Well, eventually we decided to have another baby. And at that point I was 40, there was a big gap. He wanted another child. He had wanted more children all along, but he said, you get to decide. And cause you're the one that has to be pregnant and have the baby and do most of the taking care of the baby. So I decided to try again and we got pregnant with our third child. And after the baby was born, I started noticing some really strange things. Well, first of all, I had terrible postpartum depression, which I had never had. So the situation was flipped to where I really needed his support for the first time. And also my baby was horribly colicky and screamed and cried all the time. Instead of getting a lot of 
support from him, I really began to notice him detaching, not just from me, but also from our kids. At one point, he made up a list of things he didn't like about me and sat down and read it to me. And here I am, I'm already hitting bottom because of the depression and the colicky baby. And he's reading me this list of things that are wrong with me. Well, I don't think that's probably a good way if you want your partner to change to do it. <laughs> but I was watching him do that and I thought something's wrong. Something's different. This isn't the guy I remember. So I, I prayed about it and asked God because I felt desperate. Well, within about 48 hours, I had my answers. I walked into the office in our house to use the computer and lo and behold, he had forgotten to close a window that was up and there was hardcore pornography on there. So I did a little more looking. By the way, he had never been a porn user by his own statements, but also I never saw any evidence of that he used it. He had loaded the computer down with tons of porn. So then it was within another 24 hours, I was doing the laundry and I went to clean out his pockets because he had a tendency to leave pens and things in his pockets. I found a slip of paper that looked like it was ripped off a sheet of paper and it had a woman's handwriting on it, her name and her phone number. So <laughs> within a day or two, that was a quick answer to prayer. I thought, wow, there's a lot going on here that I don't have any experience with that I don't even know how to deal with. So I confronted him about both things. The first thing he told me was that the porn was put on my computer by my 11-year-old son which was a total lie. He tried to lie his way out of it, and finally he admitted that he did it. Then the second thing, the woman's phone number, we went around and around about that for about an hour, and he kept making up all different kinds of excuses, and finally he said, well, the bottom line is I didn't call her. Yeah, I said, no, the, the problem is why did you take it? You're a married man, and what made her think that you would take it? So then he said, well, I'm going to go talk to the pastor of our church and I'm going to confess everything to him because I feel like I need to do that. Interestingly, notice there's no real sorrow about what he did. It's more mm -hmm. of the sorrow that he got caught. I mean, I look back now and see that. So he went and saw the pastor and I don't know what he told the pastor, but within a couple of days, I can't remember if she called first or not, the pastor's wife showed up at my house and came in and I'm looking to her for encouragement or support. And she says to me, you know, I heard about what happened. We need to talk about what you did that would cause your husband to make the choices he made. Oh my gosh. How oh can that God. be? Wow. And, and this church was not one of those, you know, really, I mean, there's some churches out there that have a very, in my opinion, a legalistic view of roles in a marriage. And this wasn't one of those churches. It was a contemporary non-denominational yeah. church. But that is actually something that happens to more women and men who's, but women mostly are the ones going to their pastors, but men too. That's actually something that does happen fairly regularly in the church because they have this viewpoint that two people are in the marriage and both people contribute to the problems. It's shocking when you hear it in the context of a situation like yours where she would actually show up at your house and say that to you. But the inference often is, what was it that you did that caused your marriage to be bad? And just in light of ever healing from affairs, what it is is the person 
person who had the affair or had the emotional affair, or like you said, took the number, it is that person's responsibility 100% for doing what is wrong. It may happen in the context of a marriage that isn't perfect, but that doesn't make the spouse responsible in any way for what the other person did. I totally agree with you. And I've since also thought about the fact that he had a responsibility to come to me if he wasn't happy and say, let's go to counseling, let's get a divorce. But instead, he was living this double life. Unfortunately, that happened at kind of a pivotal time for me because I was already really down on myself. I wasn't getting any sleep. You know, I had this baby keeping me up all night. And I was depressed. And so it kind of already fit into the narrative Mm -hmm. that was running through my head that there must be something wrong with you. So I decided that I was going to set about fixing whatever was wrong with me. And then maybe he wouldn't do that anymore. And that's, I realize now, totally messed up thinking because it gives him no responsibility for his own choices, no responsibility for his own actions. So we didn't go to counseling or do anything to try to figure out why what happened happened. We just kept on. He made a lot of promises that he would never do anything like that again. And a few years went by and I still felt like there was something wrong with our marriage. I still could see in him that there was a, de- a detaching from me and from the kids. Well, one day I walked into the office again and he had left a window up again. <laughs> and this time he was on a very popular dating website and he had a profile on there uh, with a fake name and a fake bio and a very old picture of himself. The really icky thing was, is that he was wanting to hook up with other women. Hook up in my generation was called one night stand, but it basically means anonymous, basically anonymous casual sex. And he was in the midst of chatting with one of these women. So I got on there and I replied to her and said, this is his wife. That'll scare her. That'll keep her from doing this anymore. And now I look back and realize that that was really naive too, because they don't really care. It's likely she was also married. And so I actually became so upset over that. I think an affair is something that I think is easier for a woman to understand, but your husband just going out and having sex with random women That was hard for me to even get my head around. I remember looking at his little conversations with this woman and just the terminology he was using and the way they were chatting. And I thought, he's not new at this. He's done this before. And who is this person? I don't even know this person. I was so devastated by all of it that I actually got violently sick and threw up. And when he came home, by the time he came home, I had calmed down and I casually mentioned his screen name he was using (laughs) on the website and his hair about stood on end. And he's like, you saw that? I said, yes. And he said, so are you going to divorce me now? Are we going to get a divorce? And it's interesting that he went right to that. I shouldn't have done that, or I'm sorry, or how can we fix it? And I said, well, I really don't want a divorce. We've been married over 20 years, and we have three kids, and our youngest one's in preschool. That would be terrible for our family. I said, but I do require that we go to counseling together. 
So we went to a counselor. He was a Christian counselor. And he gave us a little speech at the beginning where he said, I'm not going to take side. Both of you are going to get a chance to tell your story. And then he turned to my husband and he said, well, in your view, why are you here? And my husband said, I'm here because my wife doesn't want to be intimate with me anymore all of a sudden. And you need to explain to her that she needs to do her wifely duty. And the counselor looked stunned and he said to me, well, in your view, why are you here? And I didn't even tell him about the fact that he was trying to hook up. I actually felt a lot of guilt and shame over that. And it took me a long time to get over, even after my divorce, Carla, it took me a long time to get over the guilt and shame I felt about what my husband did. So did you answer him and tell the counselor that there was this, he was, your husband was trying to hook up and that, I mean, did you explain that? No, I said he was cheating on me and that's why I'm here, but I didn't go into details. Okay. And he turned and looked at my husband and said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, I know I say I don't take sides, but it's like you just ran over your wife with a Mack truck and then backed over her for good measure. You need to leave her alone on this issue. You need to fix the relationship and build trust again, whatever that takes. He said, if you tell her you're going to take out the trash, you need to immediately go and take out the trash. That's your role on this, fixing what you broke. We left there, and I, I, for the first time, I felt a little bit like, wow, somebody in the church that's knowledgeable on these issues is kind of on my side. And I hadn't even told him the whole story. So unfortunately, that counselor got in a serious car wreck. And so we weren't able to make another appointment. And by the time he was better, my husband was again refusing to go to counseling. Wow. So that we was a right good counselor, though. I mean, that was excellent yes. way that he was responding to that. So that's a nice, a nice experience to have had and a little bit invalidating for you, like you said. It is. And I, I do some, since my divorce, I've done some sort of formal and informal coaching of other people going through divorce. And one of the things I found sadly is that a lot of times counselors and therapists, especially Christian ones, their goal is to keep the marriage together, together, but they keep it together at the expense of one person. And the person who's the doing the really bad thing, like cheating, a lot of times they will leverage Christian sounding ideas in a counseling session and say, well, yes, I did do this, but I repented and she's the problem or he's the problem. They won't forgive me. Right. And suddenly the focus is off the person that broke the covenant in many cases. And it's on the other spouse who's the victim who's looked at as just not being forgiving. You need more than forgiveness to fix a marriage that that's, that's that broken. There needs to be trust again. Yeah, and so that's exactly how you heal from an affair. But it takes a right. lot of work by the person who betrayed you. Yeah. So how did you go from that one facade, that one fake name and a fake identity to understanding there were actually four? During the divorce, I started getting access to bank accounts that he had locked me out of, and he was paying for at least four different dating websites that I could find. By the time we got divorced, 
I realized that there was so much other stuff that he was hiding that I would probably never know completely everything that went on. Um, but what happened was he eventually retired from the military. He had a military career. Didn't you say he was a military intelligence expert? Yes, he was. So here's the interesting thing. I started reading about different things that people do when they're cheating or betraying a spouse. And he was doing all of them. But the worst part was the military was training him to do this. He was trained professionally at the highest levels in deception and lying. So I learned about gaslighting and I realized, oh, that's what he's been doing to me all these years. <laughs> he's been gaslighting me. And one of the things he would do, Carla, is he would just rewrite the history of something that happened. And it could have been five minutes before that he said one thing. And then I said, well, yeah, but when you said blah, 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 and he would say, I never said that. I really should have tape recorded things, but I don't know if that would have mattered <laughs> because he was never going to admit it. So I was operating from this paradigm of I, if I can just make him understand, if I can just make him understand. And finally, one day I realized he did understand. Mm -hmm. He totally knew what he was doing. Absolutely. We yeah, we weren't having a communication breakdown. We had an integrity breakdown. He just didn't have any integrity. And his motto was, I'm going to, if I can get away with it, I'm going to do it. And that ended up extending into his professional life as well. What happened was I didn't feel like he was abusing me. He never hit me. He never swore at me or called me names, but he was very passive aggressive. And one of the things he would do is go behind my back to friends and family and turn them against me. And he would often plant these little stories like in my kids' heads about things that supposedly happened when they were too young to remember. And so so now I've got my kids ganging up against me too. Give me an example of the story that he might tell a kid. So here's a great example. After the divorce, my youngest was still not a legal adult. So he split time between me and dad. And I would take him down to the farmer's market in our city because there's not that many things a teenage boy really wants to do with his mom. So I was looking for common ground of things we both enjoyed. So we would get down there and there was a restaurant near the farmer's market. And every time we would go to the farmer's market and we would walk by that restaurant, my son would point to the restaurant and say, that's where you had the giant meltdown and ruined everyone's dinner. Okay, Carla, I love food. If there's one thing I never forget, it's a restaurant. I have never eaten at that restaurant. Wow. And so I was... I felt like, am I crazy? Many times in my marriage, I'm like, am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? And one line the kids would give me a lot was, well, everybody remembers this. Everybody remembers. But I began to realize I wasn't crazy because when my youngest would tell me a story and I would be like, that didn't happen, the next week or the next month, he would come back again and tell the same story. But now it was a little different. 
<laughs> and it was yeah. usually like more extreme, you know, it was like, yeah, you have the meltdown and then you threw the menu or whatever. I mean, not that he actually said that, but I'm like, okay, which version of the story is true? So I actually looked it up and I found out there's something called pathogenic parenting that parents in a really acrimonious divorce will do where they will try to turn the children against the parent by twisting something that happened in the past or even creating something that happened in the past and feeding it to the children. And so this is not unheard of. I've since met other people that this has happened to. This is a thing. And I can't tell you how freeing it was to me, Carla, when I realized this is a thing. It's not a super common thing, but it happens. And, you know, part of his training is to be able to spin narratives and spin stories and make people believe what he wants them to believe. There was one point where I was moving out after the divorce where I found an old fake business card of his with a fake name on it that he used in another country. And it was like a God thing that I found that. He went undercover in another country. Was that part of his job or was that part of his his addiction? Part of his job. Part of his job. And it was God's timing that I found that because when I looked at it, I thought, wow, I never realized, I thought this was his job. I never realized it was his whole life. His life is based on deceit. And I've talked to therapists since then who have told me that there are an inordinate amount of people who are in these career fields work in secret ways that that ends up becoming a part of their personal life as well. But it kind of makes sense because first of all, they're attracted to that kind of work, what attracts them. Second of all, if I can fool all these important people in my job, why can't I fool my family and have a double life there? The point things got to after he retired from the military, he got a very high paying consultant job. We built this big dream home and it was the most miserable period of my life. I see a lot of women who say, yeah, my husband's cheating or my husband's doing these terrible things and I can't stand it, but I've stayed with them 20, 30, 40 years and I'm not going to leave and lose half of everything um, or be broke. And I had never had a career, Carla, because we moved about every year and a half. So I was just following him around the world, raising the kids. I homeschooled the two older ones on top of that. And once he started making the higher ranks, I had sort of a honeydew role in his life. So my life was supporting his life. Well, now we're getting divorced. He's making this huge amount of money. I've been out of the workforce for 30 years. It was terrifying. That was terrifying. Yes, you're not alone. There's a lot, a lot of women that that happens to. I gave up. I figured it out and I gave up about 80% of my income to leave him. And I had no prospects of what to do or where to go. And here I am in my mid 50s and I'm competing against people who have decades of experience. What led you to get to the point where you thought, it doesn't matter, even if I have to give up everything, I have to go. What was that process like? Well, I caught him cheating again. So he would hide his, he locked me out of his computer and he wouldn't hide his phone from me. He would take it everywhere with him and even sleep on top of it. 
Now, if that doesn't tell you there's something going on, nothing does, right? Yeah, no, that tells you something's going on. So one day uh, I got it from him and I had actually seen him putting his passcode in. He didn't think I did. So I'm like, I want to find out what's so interesting. So I got into his phone and he was having a completely inappropriate conversation with a young woman who was married and had three children, also a Christian, supposedly. And she was young enough to be my daughter. I confronted him about it. He said, well, I don't want a divorce. I'll just sleep in another room. I decided I was going to sleep it off and think about it in the morning. And when I woke up in the morning, my oldest son came to me and said, I'm so sorry to hear that you and dad are getting a divorce. He had told all three kids we were getting a divorce. I still did not file for divorce. So the last straw was one day I was in the car. We were on the way to church, which goes to tell you the people that you see in church that look all happy, a lot of them are the farthest thing from that. Yeah, and I started crying and I tried to really keep things from my kids. I thought somehow I was protecting them. My kids are so damaged. Kids figure things out even when you think they don't. I was crying a little bit and I don't cry a lot. So my youngest son said, mom, what's the matter? What's the matter? I said, I just don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know if I can do this. I, I my life is, is a mess. And he said, mom, you're not thinking about hurting yourself, are you? You're not thinking about doing something bad. Dad, tell mom you love her. Tell mom not to hurt herself. My husband just like clamped his lips shut very in a very obvious body language way and didn't say a word. So when we got home later, I said to him, do you realize that in front of our son, you communicated that you wished I would kill myself? <laughs> and he, by not standing up and saying, you know, hey, mom and I aren't getting along, but I care about your mom. I don't want her to do anything bad. And I hate to say that that's what got me to the breaking point, but that is. And for about a year or two, I had put down three boundaries with him, no more cheating, no more financial abuse, which he was engaged in with me, and no more turning my own kids against me. I think those are pretty fair. I yes. don't think those are high bars to reach. And he would laugh at me and wave his hand in our million-dollar home and say, you're never going to leave all this. And I also asked him several times what he was willing to invest in the marriage. He said, I pay the bills, period. I think he really wanted to be separate from me, but he didn't want to go through a divorce and he didn't want to give me half of everything, which is evident because the minute I filed for divorce, he acted surprised and he wasn't surprised. He knew it was coming. He even told me, go ahead and file for divorce. And immediately all the assets, everything we owned started disappearing, which the state I'm in is a community property state like most states. And so when you file for divorce, there's something called temporary orders that go into effect, which freezes everything assets right so that the one spouse doesn't go oh i'll just spend up all the money well he did it anyway so that could be another theme of his is he did he does it anyway he feels like the rules don't apply to him he just does whatever he wants and there's not a fear of getting caught or losing everything which he easily could 
So he immediately started dissipating the assets and really went through, jumped through a lot of hoops to try to not only destroy me financially, but destroy me personally. He was giving a lot of money to my adult kids, hiding it, having them spend it. He hired a social worker or his attorney did to say he was the more fit parent, which is kind of hilarious because he traveled so much. He was literally gone one out of every three days, but he was asking to be the parent that had sole custody. Okay. So (laughs) you're going to, yeah. So he really believed he was going to get it. And one of the things he had to do for the social study was give the social worker the records of everywhere he traveled and he did that and once I saw the results of the social study I'll be honest with you I was so horrified there were so many lies in it and she never came to me and said your husband said this what's your side of it I could have so easily disproven those things but you know once again she was supposed to be objective but she was selected by his attorney and he paid for the study Well, when I looked through the paperwork for the travel stuff, something caught my eye that was very wrong. So I looked into it on my own. I tried to call a private investigator. When the PI found out who he was, he wouldn't tell him. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't work for you. I found out on my own that he was committing pretty major criminal expense fraud. Well, with his employer. With his employer, yes. (laughs) For anyone, but especially with what he was doing, that would have taken him down. Permanently, completely destroyed everything he worked for. He would no longer have a career doing what he was doing, getting paid all that money. So right there, that kind of tells you something about him because he was making a huge salary and they were treating him really good, but he had this need to get away with it. That's kind of the what they call antisocial personality disorder. It used to be called like a sociopath. I think the rules don't apply to them. It yeah. doesn't matter. They can break them. There's no feeling of remorse or guilt. Very charismatic, very manipulative. Sounds, you know, very much like what he, I, mean, I haven't met him, so I can't technically diagnose him, but it sounds very much like that pattern. They often lead a double life, that type of thing. What did you do with that information? So we went back to a second mediation. We had gone to one mediation already and gotten absolutely nothing resolved. When we got to the end of the mediation, well, when we got to the mediation, all the bank accounts were empty. So there was nothing to divide up. Oh my. He didn't want to give me any spousal maintenance, despite the fact that I didn't have a job. Uh, It wasn't looking good for me. The two older kids, he was paying off. The younger one, he was convincing him, you want to live with dad. You want to tell the judge you want to live with dad. So I was pretty much completely, everything was in the losing column for me at that point, Carla. And once I found that, I joke around that it was my smooth stone that I threw at the giant because... Once he realized I had that information, he was begging to go back to mediation a second time. During the mediation, he admitted to what he did, interestingly, but he said his employer didn't care. 
which is very unlikely. Most employers don't just care. <laughs> don't, don't appreciate you stealing from them. So, but at the very end, he had an injunction put in the divorce decree to award me spousal support for five years. It was very broadly worded, but it was something to the effect of don't tell. And I didn't want to. There were still things he wouldn't give us that I think would have given me even more leverage. But at that point, my attorney said, take the money and run. He said, you're not going to get a deal this good from a judge. If he's doing wrong, it's going to catch up with him. So I was being pressured at that point by the attorney, by the mediator. I was exhausted at that point. Of course. You had said that he turned, during the marriage, he turned your kids against you and told him stories, but didn't that increase during the divorce to where three, you said three of your kids actually turned against you and were having nothing to do with you? All three of your kids, you only have three, so. The two older ones did cut me off. My daughter, before the divorce was finalized, warned me. She said, you don't deserve anything. Dad was a successful professional. You were just a stay-at-home mom. And so she's reflecting what he's saying. But he was spending tons of money on her, thousands and thousands a month, giving her, buying her whatever she wanted. So of course she wanted me out of the picture because she saw that I was cutting into her half of the cash. She kept to that. So it's been five years and just recently, she started coming around again and being nice. My oldest, right after I filed for divorce, he came to me crying and said, I'm sorry, mom, dad has all the money. And he was still in college. So I think he felt like he needed to make a choice that maybe he didn't want to make. The youngest, we split after I came up with the evidence that he was committing fraud. So our youngest son, we had the standard custody division. He would come to my house and say the most horrible things you can imagine that I know were coming right out of dad's mouth. This, I think, is going to give hope to a lot of people out there who are going through this where one parent is alienating their kids. What happens in that situation is you're the scapegoat. Now, when you are removed from the situation, who is their scapegoat? Got to be the kids eventually. Right. He said to me, my youngest, well, you ruined our family. Dad explained it all to me, but now you're gone and the family is fixed. And I remember thinking, yeah, we'll give that a little time and see how that works out. So that one, the youngest, I have worked very hard on developing a good relationship with him over the several years that followed. Unfortunately, his dad set up a bank account for him and he could just take cash out he was buying marijuana at a minimum with this, from this bank account. And I had a feeling he was smoking it. And then at my house, I caught him one day. He's a really honest kid. It's really funny. And I said, where are you getting the money to do this? You don't have a job. Oh, I get it from dad. So I contacted dad. Dad's response was, well, he's not doing it at my house. So I had to make another tough choice because my attorney said, if you show, he, he put this in an email. My attorney said, if you show this to a judge, he's done. He, his parental, he's corrupted a minor. His parental visitation is over with. And I thought, yeah, we could do that. But see, my son liked his dad. He liked getting the money from dad to buy drugs. He liked it that dad would let him cut classes all the time. So now I've got a kid at my house that doesn't want to be there who's a foot taller than me. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. like, I've won the battle, but I'm losing the war. So instead, I took him to counseling against his dad's wishes. 
and he did a lot better. I could tell he stopped using, his grades went up, everything improved. Then the the summer vacation before senior year, he went on vacation with dad. I don't know what happened on that vacation, but when he came back, it was like somebody flipped a switch. He hated me. He wanted nothing to do with me. He walked out on me and said, there's nothing you can do about it. And he was 17 and a half. So he, in my opinion, he didn't figure that out on his own. Because even if I had gone to court and said, he needs to come back and live with me when he's supposed to be with me, by the time the case even hit the courtroom, he probably would have been 18 already. That so, yeah. um, you can, And you can't drag an 18-year-old from one house to the other or out of a car and make that 18-year-old be where the court, quote-unquote, says. That's why the court at some point says kids are old enough to decide. So, yeah, it's a waste. Right. And we had decided, we had agreed in mediation, which in my state is more powerful than the judge, because they're like, well, you agreed to it. Don't complain about it now. So he was supposed to have split the time between us till he turned 18. But at that point, I'm like, he's old enough to, if he makes his own bed this way, to sleep in it, you know? And then there was another incident where he wouldn't have anything to do with me because I talked to the school. His dad was faking excuse notes for him so that he didn't have to go to school. Now, I noticed also that when you first told me your story, I met you again through my website. You've been getting information from my website for a while. When did you actually find it? It was after the divorce, but I was looking for support that actually was Christian support that starts at the point of reality. And I saw on your website, you said something like denials like a warm blanket you're not ready to really leave that denial and work on the problem until you're ready to face the reality. And I look back at my own story and realize that there were definitely several tipping points where I should have put down the line in the sand and I didn't do it. It was out of fear. It was out of at least what was going on was known. It was the fear of the unknown at that point was greater. It's been a tough four years since the divorce, and it's only recently that my kids have come back. My oldest sat down with me at lunch one day and said, basically, I was watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary, Mom, and I realized this is my dad. And not necessarily the pedophilia part, no, but no, the not deception. That, the deception, exactly. I should have clarified that. But that was an attention grabber for me because I've kind of had a rule that I don't talk about their dad to my kids and what he did. I see a lot of women that get themselves in trouble that way. I have a friend that was telling her son, I have an STD that your dad gave me. And I don't think that's something that should ever be divulged to a child. And she said, and this is an adult child. And she said, and I just wanted him to know what a rotten person his dad is. And you know what his son's response was? Well, dad might have given you an STD, but you're an angry, bitter person. The kids look at it as, which parent do I want to be around? Do I want to be around the fun parent who maybe is with their new partner, but they're happy and fun? Or do I want to be around the angry, bitter parent? They don't have the framework to understand what you're- No. And also, that's your kid's dad. So that dad is half of them. Mm -hmm. And so we don't realize, and also their experience with their dad might be different. Now, eventually, as time goes on in situations like this, where uh, one parent's turned the kids against the other, 
other parent. So kids start to see behavior in that parent and they see it maybe with the other spouse that the person is with, or it goes toward the children. Some of the blame, some of the lies, some of the deception, some of the denial, all that stuff. And the kids just start to see it because it's starting to affect them or they see it toward a sibling. And so they do often. It takes, well, it takes a little while. It took your kids almost, what you said, four years, but they years. actually came back to you. Right. And they've actually said some wonderful things to me. My oldest said, you know, you used to tell me not to lie and how bad lying was. And I used to laugh at you. And he said, now I look at dad and I realize the mess he's made out of his life. And I realize what you said was true. Yeah. You know, so yes, it can take some time. And when he sat there talking to me for an hour and just kind of spilled, my oldest and his dad, for the last four years, I have felt angry and resentful, Carla, that I've been unable to speak into the situation at all and even tell my story. And after I walked away from that lunch, I went, God told my story way better than I ever could have. That's wow. wonderful. Wonderful. And my, and my kids will never, ever go, did mom plant this in our heads? Did mom turn us against dad? No, because they figured it out all on their own. And that's the way you want people to learn. If I was able to turn them against their dad, then all I'm doing is the same thing he did to me. Absolutely. And, that's a wonderful way to say it. Yeah. And I really had determined from the beginning that I was going to take the high road. By the way, now, and I think they're seeing this, that's part of it, a lot of his things that he did that he thought were very clever are turning against him and things are falling apart for him, I guess, professionally. And I also looked back on some of the notes I made when we had our initial conversation and you made this statement. You said that you used to be enmeshed with your kids and you needed your kids to love you, but you realized when your son came to you at that point that you no longer did but it was a wonderful thing to recognize that your son did. It was beautiful because I always, in my head, lived for the day when my kids came back and said, we see now. But over these past four years, God has healed me. And I realized I don't need my kids to even be in my life. Like I want them in my life, but actually they need me more than I need them at this point. And yes, that was so freeing. I walked out of there and part of me said, boy, I should be happier. You know, I, I'm vindicated. Everything I said was right. And they realize it now. And then I thought, that's good for them. They need to see the truth about their dad in order to really be able to love him. I had a friend that said to me, you know, the truth sets you free to love people because you see the good and the bad. You don't see this caricature that he was putting up for them that wasn't real. And he would say to me throughout the marriage, I feel so alone all the time. I'm alone. I'm alone. And I'm thinking, you have a family that loves you. You have more friends. Why do you feel alone? And then one day I realized it's because what he's showing people is this facade and he knows it. So nobody really can love him because nobody really knows him except for God and me a little yeah. bit. 
Yep, that was the em- that was the emptiness inside of him. One right. more thing that I remember you telling me that we kind of skipped over is you said that he got even your friends and your mom to turn against you during the divorce. Yes, even before the divorce. So I had said to him, my mom had him up on a pedestal too. Everybody did. He's one of those people that walks into the room and instantly everybody's looking at him like, how can I follow you? I mean, he's got tremendous leadership gifting. It's just twisted. But I told him, I said, I told my mom we're having marital problems. And I told him it's because I know you're cheating on me. Well, he didn't say much, but he started calling her. He actually convinced my mother, my own mother, that I was imagining things and a little bit crazy. She actually responded to that by writing me a letter and telling me I need to go get some mental health help. She even gave me a diagnosis. <laughs> what, what was it? It was like false flag syndrome or false flag disorder or something where you see red flags where there aren't any. Oh my. Well, it was the opposite. I failed to see the red flags that were there. <laughs> I wonder if he came up with that description because I've never heard that before. If that was just it's your entirely mom's. Possible. Entirely possible. So then when we started going through divorce, he was also calling her and saying, oh, I don't want this divorce. I love your daughter. She's the one who wants it. And I was going to him and saying, even now that I file, like if you come clean and you decide you want to get help and get fixed, I can't guarantee that things will last between us. We could still end up divorced, but I would at least try to hold your hand while you go through it. So I got tired of that because my mom was like, well, I don't know who to believe. So one day I just called her up when he was in the room. He was taken totally off guard. And I said, hey, mom, since you're really confused about who wants the divorce, I'm going to hand the phone to you right now. Here he is. <laughs> and he stuttered and stumbled. And then he finally said to her, yes, yes, I do want the divorce. And he handed the phone back to me and she said, he played me, he fooled me. And I thought, yeah, mom, this isn't the first time. And another issue I had to deal with after my divorce is that um, I kind of married my mom. She's a narcissist. And I think that was one reason why she liked him so much. And she was so charmed by him. Also why I didn't see it coming and I put up with it for so long. So that's a whole nother story. But it, it's been a very enlightening last few years. You get people like that and you make videos about them and you write about them on your website, Carla. They're just surrounded by these toxic families, these toxic people, and they start to think, what's wrong with me? Everybody else is of one mindset, one accord, and they think I'm the crazy one. Mm -hmm. And I endured that in my family of origin for years, and then in my marriage for years. And I'm finally at the point where I can go, hallelujah, it was them that were crazy. Great place to be at. And it's really freeing. And it doesn't mean that you had no part in any of the marriage problems you had or that you were a perfect wife. Of course you did. We're all humans. But you didn't cause that craziness. You didn't cause him to be unfaithful. You didn't cause him to lie. You didn't cause him to do those things. And you weren't the person that he made you out to be. And it's wonderful to see that. And what you experienced was gaslighting. And he did that with your kids. 
since then and he did that with you and then he did it with your mom and yes so it's an amazing freeing place to be in and you sound like you're doing fantastic look fantastic and your life today is good right my life today is a lot better i'll be honest i have days sometimes where it's hard not to be overwhelmed and start thinking about how i lost Everything I worked for for 30 years, I lost my family, which was the investment that I made, uh, everything into my family and my marriage. And I assumed because I married this Christian man that he was reciprocating all that. And he wasn't. It was just a way for him to live the kind of life he wanted to live and still appear to be the wonderful Christian man. But what I've learned through all this is like, I really trust my gut now. My gut was right about him almost every single time, every single time. And I learned to ignore it and jump over the red flags. And now I'm finding out, wow, I was right. I was right. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't stupid. It wasn't my fault. He had choices to make at every crossroads he came, he came to, and he made the wrong ones. So your takeaway for the people that are listening would be what? It would be, if you start to feel like something's wrong with your spouse or in your marriage, it probably is. Don't let them talk you out of it. Pray, ask God to show you what's really going on. When he does show you, like he showed me that time, take serious action. Put down, with the help of a therapist, hopefully, maybe Carla, put down some good boundaries and have somebody that can hold you accountable to holding them to the boundaries because it's not going to get better on its own. No, it does not. And that doesn't have to, that, that would apply not just to people who are married, but to any relationship. It could be with your parent. It could be with an ex. It could be with an adult, adult child, a teenager, a friend, sibling. It doesn't matter. Uh, right. When you see information that tells you what's going on, don't ignore it. And don't believe you're crazy. When somebody tells you you're crazy and your gut tells you you're not believe yourself right. pay attention to your gut so because the gaslighting is something and it's not easy to pull out of that but you can it is with like you said with the help of somebody else who helps you figure out what reality is and then to believe that. So thank you very much. This was a very compelling, uh, interesting story. I love, love that your children came back to you and now can see the truth without you being the one that had to tell them or tear down the, their dad. And yeah, what you went through isn't easy, but you are making it through it. And let me just ask you this. Is it better to be in the place you are now and not be living in those lies. Oh my gosh, so much better. It's like I had to go through hell to get here, but it was worth it. I wouldn't want to go through it again. No. <laughs> I wouldn't be anxious to go through it again, but it was worth it because I'm a better, healthier person. I like myself so much better than I did when I was in my marriage because nothing I could do was right for my husband. And then he was passing on that critical attitude to my kids. I like myself and I realized that's good enough. I'm enough. Yeah. You know, and I'm currently single and I may end my life single and that's okay because I would rather stay single than be with the wrong person again. Yeah. So I just figure if God wants me to meet someone, I will. But right yeah. now I'm just healing and growing and helping other women that are going through this. And it's actually very satisfying. 
Yes, very good. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being willing to share your story. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com.